Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we're in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today, I want to do a podcast on um, missionaries and money. So, support raising um, and and living on support. Um, <clears throat> this is also going to touch on your local pastor, um, your local youth pastor, uh, maybe worship pastor. It'll touch on you know people working for um, navigators or power to change or um, people working at your local Christian bookstore. Um, it's gonna look at is it okay to um, to make money uh, off of the gospel to make your living off the gospel um, and. Um, Primarily, we're going to be looking at missionaries because that's kind of more where the debate is. Um, I don't think a lot of people... Well, there might be some people that would debate whether you should pay your pastor. Um, but there's a lot of people that would debate whether uh, we should have missionaries, whether we should pay missionaries, whether they should be tent-making missionaries, etc. So uh, we'll have a look at what the Bible says about these issues, and then um, we'll see if we can apply them to our lives. Um... Why am I interested in this podcast? Why am I interested in this subject? Well, because I'm a missionary and I live on support. Um, so back in 2012, when we started on this journey, uh, our mission really encouraged us, uh, especially because I'm a theology guy, to uh, look at what the Bible says, make sure I know what I believe before starting so that I don't have kind of a double, um, so I'm not double-minded about it. I know for sure this is right. And I did research it and I did decide this is definitely the biblical model. This is how God wants things to be done. And so uh, I have kind of a body of research there uh, that I want to share with you. Um, and also, you know, over the years, you know, it's been like four years now that we've been doing this thing, uh, being missionaries and stuff. And um, we have, I mean, our original list was around 400 people to contact and and, um, and ask if they would be interested in supporting us. And the number's probably grown by now and we try and get new new contacts every year so it's probably up to around 600 people now and you know some people just don't call you back or the contact doesn't work out but probably around 300 and 350 people now that I have specifically asked for money uh, have asked would you consider supporting us in our ministry which is code for saying would you consider giving me money so that I can serve God with with my life um, and um, I've heard it I've heard a lot of really kind words, uh, either kindly yes or kindly no, and just a few, like I'm thinking of three people, um, I don't think it's more than three out of all those people, which is like 1%, which is not bad really, um, that have said no um, with, um, you know, with some words attached to that about uh, why missions is wrong, why our way of doing missions is wrong, why we shouldn't be raising support, why we should be doing, you know, tent-making ministry, etc. And so um, I want to look at some of those objections that were raised to me, uh, not by tons of people, but um, they're, they're out there and, you know, people are wondering about them. Um, specifically, we're going to look at the George Mueller model. Uh, George Mueller, um, uh, when did he live? Uh, the 1800s sometime, I think. Um, and he founded an orphanage, and he had a few personal vows um, 
about um, not keeping any savings, giving all his extra to the poor, never asking anyone for money. So as I said, you know, I, I ask people. Uh, I present in a church. I use code. I'm like, hey, you know, pray for us and support us. But then I'll, I'll specifically ask people for money because I have found um, in the vast majority of cases, uh, A, people aren't offended by it, and B, they won't give unless you ask. Um, they're often like, oh, yeah, we were, we were thinking about that, you know. Um, we were talking about it. Yeah, maybe we should. Um, but it, in my experience, uh, the talk doesn't get to giving uh, unless you ask. Um, and the talk fades as, as your memory fades after you visit a church. Um, but uh, so George Mueller doesn't ask, didn't ask for money, and um, didn't keep savings, and uh, and he he ran his his orphanage and uh, had a successful ministry that way. So some people would say, well, shouldn't you be like George Mueller? Don't ask for money, just just uh, pray for God to provide. Um, K. P. Johanan wrote a book called Revolutions in World Missions, and he really championed the cause of. Um, uh, paying small amounts to indigenous missionaries, like, you know, uh, somebody that's actually from India, paying that guy $10 a month or $100 a month so that he can do his ministry um, more effectively uh, or even, I'm not even sure what the amounts would be, but considerably less. Uh, Whereas a missionary, you know, Western-style missionary like me, um, you know, our our costs range anywhere from four to $6,000 a month. Um, even here in North America where I'm living, um, you know, it's up around that. So obviously it's a lot cheaper and his argument was it's a lot, also a lot effect, more effective. And, um, you know, he kind of at one point really, um, criticized Western missionaries because, you know, you have to take vacations, you have to go back and visit your hometown, you know, you have to go back every three years and, you know, you're kind of, kind of wasting money with all this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. Like I, I do really think that the indigenous missionary movement is awesome. Um, but, uh, one guy, when I was raising support and had a kind of a meet and greet and, and trying to make new contacts and, and share the vision of what I was doing really got in my face and was kind of like, look, like indigenous missionaries is the future and you're the past. And, um, you know, so, so that's one objection for, um, against living on support is that uh, should we as Westerners be, be raising support for ourselves or should we just be sending money over? Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to address this one later, so I'll just say really briefly what I think about that is that um, K.P. Johanan wrote with a lot of energy and a lot of force championing his thing, which is awesome. I have nothing against his thing. Uh, while I was over in Africa, like I taught you know, some, some students and got to know a bunch more students. And I know that some of them are, are supported in their work and that's awesome. Um, and I, I hope that more of them can get supported. Um, in the office where we were, we employed a bunch of, of Africans and and pastors and their wives, um, to help in the ministry. And no, that's, so that's a different issue. Um, so the students I'm talking about, I hope they get, um, they get supported so that they can work full time. That's that would be the ideal situation instead of trying to do tent making. Um, but um, I don't think that 
you will ever replace uh, sending missionaries overseas by paying indigenous missionaries. I mean, you th- and my ministry illustrated that well because I was over there with a master's in theology with a lot of expertise um, that I was able to equip these guys with. Um, you know, I preached a sermon, if, if Jesus called himself the Son of Man, why do we call him the Son of God? Um, and that's, uh, shoot, it's not available in English on my podcast uh, feed. Um, so that, but anyways, that material about how Jesus is definitely the Son of God, even though he called himself the Son of Man, very important in a Muslim country as they're trying to wrestle with Muslim apologetics and, and def- defending the divinity of Christ. Not something they probably would be able to figure out on their own, um, and I heard one indigenous person through the course of, of this discussion and discussing K.P. Yohanan and, and revolutions and world missions and things like that. Um, somebody said, look, you can't replace people with money. And that's kind of what it comes down to is people like me or, or others going overseas, um, helping the indigenous missionaries. Yes, um, indigenous, indigenous missionaries are key even indigenous peoples, as I kind of mentioned, like employing people and sending people out and, and whether they're supported or not. I mean, that's that's what we want to do. We want to reproduce ourselves. We want to share, you know, as it says in Second Timothy 2, 2, the things you've heard and seen in me and trust these to faithful men, which is kind of our life verse for our, our ministry. Um, so it's kind of a, creating a false dichotomy and an unfortunate tension between people that should be allies. Um, so that's that's all I'm going to say about revolutions and world missions and KP Yohanan. Um, and I only heard it once. Uh, it was something that was really passionate about that and, and was doing a lot, uh, which is great, you know, supporting a lot of indigenous guys. Um, the last objection I've heard, and I heard a lot more often, is, hey, Paul did tent-making ministry. Why don't you do tent-making ministry? So if you don't know what tent-making ministry is, I'll just explain it once, and then I'll use the term throughout. Um, the Apostle Paul, who was um, the, the Apostle that was the, probably the first missionary. Well, no, he wasn't the first missionary, but he was the most important missionary in the early church. Uh, his ministry, like he was born around 4 uh, AD, died around 63 to 66, I believe. And uh, his effective ministry time was between, I think, the 40s and the 60s. And uh, he traveled all over the Mediterranean, um, spreading the gospel. And then he wrote uh, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, um, all the epistles of, uh, all the Pauline epistles in the New Testament, which which really provide the foundation for defining what it is to be a Christian. So... um, you know, next to Jesus, he's kind of the founder of, of the Christian religion. Um, and, uh, or, or he defines Jesus' words and, and explains what, what it, how to interpret Jesus. Um, and he at times uh, um, didn't live on uh, support. And he at, at, at one point really waxed eloquent, actually at two different places in the Bible, about how he was so proud that he did not take money from people, but he worked hard with his own hands, and he was skilled in making tents. And so he was able to make money for himself, making tents, and then he had free time to devote to the gospel. So people have asked me, uh, why don't you um, find some job that you can do that you make money 
so that, and then you have free time on the side to um, do your ministry. So that's, um, those are the two main objections we'll look at, is the George Mueller model, number one, and the tent-making model, number two. Um, I think it's really important to define questions well before we, we start them, rather than just saying, is support okay? Uh, there's a lot of things that go into support. It's a large, complex issue. So I've divided off um, five different questions here. And uh, let's look at these one by one and see what the Bible says about it. And then we'll go through the story of the Bible to see how, how God's people have used money. And then we'll end up at Paul because he's kind of the last one. Um, and we'll, we'll probably conclude there maybe with some, some personal reflections or something like that. So first question, is ministry real work? Or is it hobby work? Or is it just fun or, or whatever? Is it real work? Does it count? Uh, number two, is it okay to live off the gospel? Number three, is it okay to live well off of the gospel? Number four, is it okay to ask for money? And number five, is it okay to budget, save, uh, etc.? So let's look at each one of these. Um, uh, let's take a good look at each one of these, and then we'll move on with, with the issues. So is ministry real work? So in, um, well, in Genesis 3, uh, it talks about um, the curse on mankind. And um, because of the, the consequences of their sin is that um, women's pain and childbirth will be increased, and men from the sweat of their brow will, will gain their living from the hard work that they do on the on the ground. Um, work was invented before um, Genesis three, but because of the curse, uh, work will be hard, and we need to work hard all of our lives. Um, and this is um, people have been trying from the dawn of time to find ways not to work and to freeload off of others. And uh, one of the ways that that the early Christians found was, um, as we'll find out, communal living was, was a reality. Um, it was something that was practiced that was, I think, um, in part to free up the apostles to do the ministry and in part to create, to have a discipleship kind of a school setting to prepare new missionaries. But some people were just freeloading. And, uh, in second Thessalonians, Paul addresses this, um, and it was partially because they thought the end was near, and so they were just just devoting themselves to prayer, just like, well, what's the point of doing anything uh, because Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And Jesus, or I mean, Paul says in Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Um, so it's very, very clear words. Hey, look, if you're not working, um, I hope you're not showing up for supper because... Um, Supper is for people that worked hard. And um, if there's a community uh, setting or if the money's coming from somewhere within the group, whether that's in your larger Christian community or whatever, um, you need to be working. Uh, and uh, you need to be working, you know, hard. Uh, that's, that's life. Uh, might talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but we need to ask the question, is ministry real work? And for a lot of people, honestly, it doesn't feel like work because they're in a tent-making situation or they're, uh, you know, they have a job, they have a life, and then on the side, they witness to their friends. And this is real ministry. Um, and it feels, you know, it gives them energy. It's like having a hobby. 
uh, or else once every six weeks they preach in their local church. And it's awesome. It's fun. It's, it's exciting. It, it gives them, you know, other people go golfing on the weekend and, and we go to church and I preach once, you know, every six weeks. Um, it doesn't feel like work. And so, um, it, it can, one way to answer the question is to say, well, it doesn't look like work, doesn't smell like work, doesn't feel like work. You don't have dirt under your fingernails uh, when you're done with ministry, so therefore it's not work. 1 Corinthians 9 um, is responsible for the clarity and also the confusion on this issue. Uh, most of what, what Paul says and most of what the Bible says about living on support um, and Christians and money comes from this passage and also what he says about tent making and, and Corinthians is written in a way that a lot of things in Corinthians are confusing. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that a lot of what Paul says about I mean this is where we have um, spiritual gifts and where we have head coverings, where we have uh, teachings on divorce and remarriage, where we have teachings on celibacy, and a lot of what Paul says in Corinthians, the way that he says it is confusing. Um, he's a lot more straightforward and clear in like Romans or Colossians. Uh, mind you, he doesn't he doesn't address as many uh, practical issues. Um, so that's just kind of a heads up before we get into this. Um, but I'm going to jump down to verse 11. If we sp- if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do do we not much more? Um, nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So there is the tent-making thing. But getting back to... Uh, what he was saying before. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Um, so yes, it's it's gospel work. I mean, it's, it's legitimate work. Um, he says in verse 9, It is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Um, so threshing is, is breaking the grains and, uh, um, the, the good part that you eat of grain is inside the hard casing. And so you'd either whack it with something hard or else you'd have, uh, a cow walk over it and over it and over it. I think he might've been pulling something or else just his feet, um, on the, on the grains would have, uh, threshed the wheat, uh, broken the outer coating. And, uh, the Old Testament, the law, says don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. And, and you can see why you'd want to, because you don't want the ox eating all your, your grain that you work so hard to, to get. And that would just be like candy for, the, for the, uh, the cow, for the ox. But the Bible says don't do that. Uh, he's working. He's threshing for you. Let him, let him have a taste of what he's uh, doing here. And um, then Paul clarifies in verse 10, uh, God's not talking about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in the hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Um, So in the same way, workmen uh, that are working in the gospel ought to share in the crops of, or reap the spiritual, or the the financial harvest, a, a financial harvest from those that they're working with. Um, so ministry is real work, as it says in Proverbs, the worker is worthy of his wages and those who, um, 
And so those that work hard in the ministry are worthy of um, wages as well. First uh, Timothy 5.17 uh, says even more clearly, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. There we go. I thought that was in the New Testament. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So very clearly, um, ministry is real work. It should be compensated financially. Um, this leads into the second question. Uh, is it okay to live off of the gospel? Um, I think very clearly it is, just in these passages. Um, in, uh, it, it says, elders who real well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And again, in 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about, don't you know, nobody goes to um, serve in the army on their own expenses. Um, you, you pay a soldier to work, to work in the army. He doesn't have to you know, save up money so that he can buy a tent and, and buy a gun and, and go to Af buy a plane ticket to Afghanistan. Somebody else pays his way so that he can do his work. Um, in the same way, uh, so that's it. Sorry, I should just read this whole thing. Um, no, but it's so confusing how it's written. Anyway, so verse 7 says, Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who, or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgments, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? I'm kind of like moving backwards through this passage. Um, so certainly go read 1 Corinthians 9 um, as you study this. Um, and also Deuteronomy 25.4. Also, First uh, Timothy five seventeen to eighteen. Also, Galatians six six, and also Philippians four fifteen to sixteen, uh, and also Romans at the end of Romans. Where is that? Romans, Romans, Romans. This is a podcast, folks. It's not perfect, um, but we'll cover all the material eventually. If I was preaching a sermon, I would have um, spent many hours and made sure everything was polished and good. Um, Uh, yeah, so you want to look at Romans 15, 24. Romans 15, 24. Drop that down so I get it for next time. 15, 24. All right, so we've looked at, is it okay to, is ministry real work? Is it okay to live off the gospel? Yes and yes. Is it okay to live well off of the gospel? Or should pastors have kind of a, a semi-vow of poverty that um, they should... Be poor while they're while they're living off the gospel. Well, First Timothy five seven again says uh, the uh, or five seventeen um, treat honors or treat elders with double honor, especially those who work well, work hard in preaching and teaching. I don't think that's speaking of um, you know being a televangelist and and making oodles of money and uh, you know having a yacht and a mansion and a private cottage and private jet and whatever. Um, but I also don't think that means that um, you should treat your pastor as though um, he needs to live at or below the poverty line when your church has the means to, to give him a, a reasonable middle-class middle lifestyle uh, when everybody else in your church is, is middle-class or most of the people are middle-class. I think it's reasonable to expect that the pastor will live at 
about the same income level as most of the people in the church. And again, it says double honor for those that work well in, in preaching and teaching. Work hard in preaching and teaching. I mean, if I would just take that literally, I would say that um, somebody that does a really good job as a pastor um, ought to even be paid more than middle class. I'm not asking that for myself, but that's, I mean, if you just read the passage, that's kind of what it's saying. So is it okay to live well off the gospel? Yeah, I mean, that's what the Bible says. Um, is it okay to ask for money? Uh, this is, uh, again, getting back to George Mueller. And what it's really getting back to, George Mueller, you know, most people don't know about him until they start missions. Um, but what it's really getting back to is this deep cultural aversion to asking for anything. Because in our culture, um, we do not beg. We have pride. And this goes back, you know, I don't, we could probably do a historical study of this or something. Um, but in other cultures, they have no problem. I mean, we were over in Africa and, um, you know, people ask for stuff all the time. It's no big deal. Um, it's a big deal for me because I'm like, seriously, like, stop asking me for stuff. But in their culture, it's completely fine. Uh, in our culture, we do not ask I mean, our kids could be, you know, thinking 100 years ago or whatever, our kids could be at death's door, dying of whatever, and, you know, we have pride. We're not going to go begging. Uh, we're not going to go ask somebody for money. We're going to provide for ourselves, you know, and it's part of, like, the Puritan work ethic. It's part of, um, I don't know, just whatever make, whatever makes up our DNA, and so the question, should we ask for money? It's not so much a biblical question as it is a cultural question. Like, it just feels wrong um, to ask people for money or to be asked for money in our culture. It, it really, like, um, it, it, it down deep, something in Western society just rebels against asking for money or being asked. Um, but is that wrong, biblically speaking? So in Romans 15... Um, 24, uh, we have Paul explicitly asking for money. Um, and it's a really brief message, uh, which um, is kind of how we tend to do it as missionaries. You kind of send a coded message and hopefully people understand it. Uh, so Paul writes the whole book of Romans to a church that he hasn't yet been to to explain what the gospel is that he's preaching and also to encourage them and stuff like that. Um, kind of like a guest sermon in, in a way. And then at the end of it, he says, uh, for this reason, I've often been prevent, present, prevented from coming to you. So he says, I've wanted to visit you, but I've been prevented. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had many years long to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Okay, so Paul's like the master of the run-on sentence, and uh, it's hard to know exactly what he's saying here. But he's saying, look, I've wanted to visit you guys for a long time, uh, but I've had so much work to do here. I want to preach the gospel to places that they haven't heard it before. Now I'm done over in this area. There's no more major cities that haven't heard the gospel, so I want to go to Spain. Uh, but on the way there, I want to hang out with you guys and, and share, you know, encourage you guys. And then he says, and it's this parenthesis, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he is explicitly saying, 
I hope to be helped on my way to Spain by you. I want you to give me money so that uh, after I've stopped on the Isthmus of um, Italy and uh, stopped in at Rome, you can pay my sea voyage over to Spain or else my overland voyage uh, if I'm going to walk up the Appian Way and go over the Alps. The Alps? Uh, mountains up there. I think so. Um, one way or another, I would really like it if you guys would fund my voyage to Spain. And um, we don't actually know whether this voyage took place. It was right at the end of his, his life and then he went to Jerusalem got captured and uh, he might have made it out of that and had a fourth missionary journey or he might have been executed. Um, we don't really know because the book of Acts ends with his imprisonment. But he's explicitly asking for money here. As well, the book of Philemon um, is this tiny little book, one chapter long, uh, right at the end of, uh, of the Pauline epistles, right before um, Hebrews. And um, he's asking a, um, a wealthy businessman with whom he's had a lot of relationship, and he's good friends with him. And uh, this businessman's slave has run away, and he's somehow ended up uh, becoming a Christian, and he hangs out with Paul, and, and he helps Paul. And Paul has this entourage of people that help him, and that travel with him, and, and that he's discipling and training. And, um, and as he's is he getting older, he would be in his 50s by then, but he was having health difficulties, and so he had Luke the physician with him, and he had, you know, he mentioned sometimes, he might have had uh, an eye problem um, based on a few things that were mentioned now and then. He had other people write his letters for him, um, which would have been a normal convention in the day. But anyways, he needed help, um, and uh, he was asking uh, Onesimus, uh, on the behalf of Philemon, this slave that had run away from his master, he said, look, um, I would really like it if you would release this guy, uh, if you'd make him a free man and then send him back to me uh, because I would love to disciple this guy, pour into this guy, and then send him out as a Christian worker. He doesn't say exactly that, but that's kind of the... What's very clear is he wants the slave to be released and then returned to him. That is a huge, huge ask um, Slaves were worth a lot of money. I have no idea in contemporary terms how much they would be worth. Um, but uh, if you can just think about, um, you know, a day's wage is worth about $100. If you can ask your slave to work, you know, for the rest of his life, uh, 365 days of the year, um, he's got like 30 years of, of good work ahead of him. I mean, that is a lot of value seriously a lot of money uh, and slaves were worth a lot of money and this sounds like a an able-bodied young man that would have been prime um, you know an expensive guy and uh, so Paul explicitly asks, and asks in, in fact the whole book of Philemon and if you're um, if you're trained to be a missionary and figuring out how to do support I'd encourage you to read Philemon because it kind of lays out how to how to present your case and how to say look I know I've I've sowed spiritual things among you, and um, it's fitting for you to repay that in material uh, possessions. Um, and uh, yeah, so Paul explicitly asks for money. Uh, and so I think that it's, it's legitimate for us to ask for money as well. Is it legitimate to budget and save money? Um, the reason I think that... Um, 
that George Mueller didn't save up his money and that he gave all the extra to the poor and things like that uh, was because of Jesus and uh, how Jesus lived. And it doesn't seem like Jesus kept um, savings. Uh, it seems as though he, he basically had a vow of poverty or, or he, he traveled to place to place with, without any money in hand. Uh, it was um, sort of a faith-based ministry. Um, Jesus lived on the hospitality of people. He lived with Mary and Martha when he was there. He lived with Peter's uh, mother-in-law when he was there. He traveled to different places. He had, um, we're going to talk about this later, uh, probably in a future podcast because it's getting a bit long. Um, yeah. Um, but Jesus, when he sent out the, um, the, the 12 disciples and then later he sent out 72 disciples, on a short missionary tour around Israel. He said, don't take a staff for your journey. Don't take a money bag. Um, But just go and impose yourself on the hospitality of people in the city and say, here, I'm here to preach the gospel. Uh, Feed me. And and he explicitly said, don't save up for that. Um, I should find the reference for you. Yeah, so Matthew, it's in all of the synoptic gospel. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have um, have this, uh, it's, it's paraphrased, it's a little bit different in different ones, but it says basically the same thing. Matthew 10.5 says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this was at the time when they were focusing just on Israel first. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cl- cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Again, we have this verse in the New Testament. The worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, uh, give it your blessing of peace. If it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, George Mueller is taking from this passage the idea of uh, living on faith, not having a bag for the journey, not having two coats or sandals or a backup backup stuff. not even having a staff. I think the staff might have been for, for protection. I'm not sure. Um, but just to completely go believing that, that people will provide for your means. Now, this isn't a support for not asking for money because they're entering a city and they're looking for a person of peace. Probably as they're standing up to preach, they kind of look in the crowd and they're like, hey, this person is kind of looking at me with attention. After the sermon, I'm going to come down and I'm going to be like, hey, um, the master says that I should stay at your house tonight. And um, so, you know, there is an ask. Uh, I am asking you to stay at your house. And, and um, another, either in Luke or in Mark, it says, uh, do not travel from house to house. Just stay with the person you're at. Uh, make it work with one person. If it doesn't work with that person, leave the city. Um, but there is the idea of uh, living on faith and not saving up. Um, now, this is really helpful for us as Christians, but it's also, uh, we need to remember that this is a special time, um, 
again, like, we, we can't take everything from this passage because Jesus talked about don't go to the Gentiles and, and Samaritans, but go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, that clearly doesn't apply. Um, travel around and, and stay with, with a person of peace. Well, you know, I, I have a family. I've got four kids now. I have four kids. I can't believe it. Um, and I don't travel. I mean, that's not my deal. I, I stay here. I'm living in a mission field. I mean, we all are, but, you know, Quebec is the least evangelized part of North America. I'm here at a campus where people come from all over the world to study. And a lot of closed countries, a lot of countries even um, that are also very secular. And, um, you know, my deal is I, I go on the campus and I, I teach Bible studies and I do relational evangelism. I don't travel. So that part of it doesn't really apply to us. Um, also, just flipping, 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 trying to find where I am. Uh, Luke, Lord's Supper, who's the greatest? Okay, so Luke twenty-two thirty-five, Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without money bag and um, belt and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressor, transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, It's enough. So I wrote a paper on this uh, regarding pacifism because this is a, a key verse that a lot of just war theorists will take this and say, yes, pacifism was just for the time when Jesus was on earth, but now you know we need to fight. That's not related to our topic, so I'm just going to completely leave it out of this. Um, but it seems pretty clear that Jesus is refuting what he said earlier. He said before, you know, you went out without a money belt, without uh, a bag, um, without extra sandals. But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, whoever has a bag and uh, whoever has no sword should get one. Um, so we should, we should be ready. We should be equipped. We should have savings. We should, have, we should be shrewd. And, and Jesus said at one point, I send you out as uh, sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, which is so classic Jesus. Um, uses four animals to absolutely provide such a visual um, for for what it means to be a Christian in the world uh, in in a culturally transcendent way because most cultures in the world have sheep, wolves, doves, and snakes. Um, if not, then we have some access to them. So, you know, we, we need to... Um, I don't think, I don't agree with George Mueller that these verses apply to us. If, if George Mueller, and I'm going to come back to this a number of times, if George Mueller has wanted to make a vow of poverty or make certain um, special uh, commitments, that's fine. Uh, but does the Bible teach this? No, I don't think it does. I think that all the verses in Proverbs about, you know, consider the ant and how he stores up in, in the difficult times so he has abundance for the good time, for, you know, he stores up in good times so he has abundance for the winter. Um, what Jesus says in Luke here about um, taking your money belt, taking your bags, um, even having a sword um, for, I don't know, for hunting or for protection or whatever. Um, not sure what to do with that as a pacifist, but um, uh, we ought to budget and save and be responsible. And I, I don't really think that uh, 
that the model of, and, and we'll get to this when we talk about models in the next podcast, but the model of being poor and, and kind of, you know, um, there was this comic uh, that, uh, um, that, that that makes me smile a little bit now that I'm a missionary. Uh, it was in this old, like, uh, Christian, I don't know, newspaper or something. And uh, there's this kid outside of a church with, like, ripped up jeans and uh, a shirt with holes in it. And his shoes have holes in them. And this lady's like, oh, you poor thing. Um, don't you have... Uh, um, don't you have nicer shoes than that? And the kid says, oh yeah, I have nicer shoes. These are my deputation shoes. And deputation is when missionaries go out and ask for funds. Um, and that's kind of like one way that missionaries have tended to do it is like, oh, Lois, me, I'm so poor. Would you please support me? Um, and uh, I'm not sure that that's biblical. Um, it's okay. Ministry is real work. It's okay to live off the gospel. It's okay to live well off the gospel. It's okay to ask money. It's okay to budget and save. Um, we had a bit of a crisis earlier this year because we've had so many upsets and so many, like, we went to Africa. We thought that was going to work out. Turned out we had health issues. We had to come back to North America. We had to set up in a new place. We, you know, bought new furniture because we had, you know, chucked everything before we went to Africa. And so, yeah, we had a little bit of a crisis where we, you know, asked for special support and stuff like that. But normally, if we hadn't have had that, you know, our mission really pushes us to make sure that we have a good buffer, that we're at 100% support before we leave. Um, And we personally, you know, operate on, we have savings, we um, we have money in the bank, you know, we, we don't run credit card debts and things like this. And I think that that, um, that's a good testimony. Um, that's, uh, that, that, that presents a good image of Christ. Um, and I think that that's, that's a better model. I mean, it's not that, it's not that it's sinful to do it the old fashioned way of, of being so broke all the time and and scrounging for money, but why, um, I think that we can do better than that. So, and I don't think it's biblical, uh, is the thing. So, is it is ministry real work? Yes. Is it okay to live off the gospel? Yes. Is it um, okay to live well off the gospel? Yes. Is it okay for to ask for money? Yes. Um, is it okay to budget and save? Yes. Um, I want to close this podcast and then I'll start a next one talking about the ministry models available and the biblical teaching on on money. Um, by saying, sharing a little bit of my journey and, um, specifically about is money, is ministry real work? And as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't feel like work, um, you know, because for the first seven years of our marriage and even for years before that, I started leading worship in, in church when I was about 15 or 16 and, um, started preaching, I don't know, around 18 or something. And it was exciting and and it was hard work but it was rewarding Uh, and I had my life and on the side I was doing some ministry and my church was really great it's still really great at at bringing up young people and including them in the service and like I said it was great it was rewarding it was fun so then um, I jump on the missionary train and I raise my support and we take off for missions and I'm sitting in Bible at uh, French language school and I felt like such a fraud because the only thing I was doing was being a student 
and I was used to you know working for my wages plus um, studying in uh, for my master's plus um, you know family plus church plus you know all these things and now I'm, the only thing I'm doing I'm full time ministry and it didn't feel like I was working and I came from a blue collar family my dad you know worked every day um, he he worked five days a week every week that I knew him except when he was unemployed and when he was unemployed he looked so hard for a job worked at just about anything he could get his hands on and really was a great example to me of of what Paul was talking about let him who does not work not eat he he worked uh hard and and so I had that ethic and um that until I got it clear in my head that what I'm doing is work um I don't want to go into details about my medical history on a podcast that I'm sending all over the world, but, you know, I honestly struggled with three or four stress-related illnesses uh, in the course of the first year I was in missions, and and some of those are still kind of with me, and and, uh, things like indigestion and and skin rash weirdness and and things like that. Um, Twitchy eye syndrome, although that came a bit more with the post-traumatic stress in Africa after being kidnapped and stuff like that um but um just dropped that there (laughs) and uh, uh where was I um you need to really 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 get it clear in your head that ministry is real work when you stand behind a pulpit or well when you sit at your desk for 20 hours and then you stand up and you preach for an hour and then you shake people's hands and then you go home and you crash and you're dead for Monday and and then you you sit in your office again people call you and and they might have a down week you might have a week where you have a divorce and a marriage and a burial and this is work this is your life Uh, you are giving yourself for these people and this all counts this all counts as work and um, I'd really really encourage you I mean uh, don't don't push yourself towards burnout because at the end of the day, you're sitting there thinking, well, how many hours did I, did I, does this count, does that count? Um, and feeling like, okay, well, I need to keep working tonight because I haven't done enough work today. Um, we don't measure time the same way. We don't measure work the same way in ministry as you do outside of ministry. This could be a whole podcast in itself. Um, I'd like to someday write a book called Don't Be a Martyr because, um, so many Christians burn themselves out. So many Christians push themselves towards a self-inflicted martyrdom of workaholism, of uh, burnout, of destroying their marriage, of putting themselves under tons of pressure. And um, one of the really key things is ministry work is real work. Yes, when you're doing it part-time, when you're in a tent-making situation, preaching once in a while is awesome. It's, it's fun. It's refreshing. In the same way that... I mean, here's a crazy example. Golfing on the weekend is a lot of fun if, if you're not a pro golfer. If you go pro and you're practicing 40, 50 hours a week, you're, you're thinking about it, you're studying it, you're reading it, this is your life, this is all that you do. Um, it's, it's st- I mean, it's, hopefully it's still rewarding, but it's not just fun. You wouldn't expect um, tiger woods to do his life and then be like well you know it's just it's not really work so i don't need to get paid for this um in the same way ministry it is real work and um you need to not feel bad 
about the fact that you need to get paid for it. So anyways, I hope that that's clear and helpful to you. Um, ministry work is real work. The worker is worthy of his wages. It's okay to live off the gospel. You don't need to be dirt broke. Um, if if your church can't support you very well and you're willing to work it at, you know, low wages, that's great. God bless you. But I don't think churches should have an expectation that all pastors and all missionaries should work at a low amount when they can afford to pay them better. Um, biblically speaking, those who work hard in, in preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor, not half honor. Um, it's okay to ask for money. Paul did it. Um, and uh, so I think we can too. And it's okay to budget and save and be responsible and have um, have uh, an evil, even-keeled ministry, even-keeled boat. Okay, so now let's go on to talk about ministry models in the next podcast. Before we do, let's just pause to pray. Lord, I thank you that um, there's people that are actually listening to this. And I'm actually talking about this. We're talking about money. And Jesus, you had the courage to talk about money more than you talked about heaven and hell, more than you talked about um, sexuality, more than you talked about any other issue because money is so important. And um, we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the courage to spend our money for your kingdom. And you give us courage to step out in faith, believing that you will um, that you will support us in our ministries, and that um, we can serve you, and you will be faithful to us through your people and through their resources. In Jesus' name, Amen.